was considering um, moving into the pastoral role here. We're getting ready for the vote and things like that. And in January, Reed had his last Sunday here. And I remember the day he left and I started and moved all my stuff into the office. I'd been thinking about this day that I would finally be a pastor for a while. And I just kind of sat down in my chair and thought, well, what do I do now? You know, kind of been working towards all of this forever. And Henry was coming to preach the installation service that Sunday. So I didn't have to preach, which is what I was normally used to doing. And so I thought, well, what does a pastor do? And I have thought about this question for a while. And trust me, I found things to do. And I look back now and think, man, I wish I had that time that I was wondering what to do with all the things that um, I'm doing right now. But oftentimes it comes up in conversation. What do pastors actually do? I've told you about the joke my brother always gives me when I'm home. You know, you only work one day a week, right? You only work on Sundays. What do pastors actually do in the office? Um, As we're anticipating a possible transition into elders here, I wanted to make something clear that I might not have made clear last week. I said that pastor, elder, and bishop, I think, is the same office. And we looked at several passages where the terms are used interchangeably in Titus and in Acts, where the same person is called a pastor, an elder, and even a bishop at different times. But I also wanted to say that I think the role of a paid pastor and the role of a lay pastor, someone who's not paid, actually has the same kind of function as well. Now, here at our church, you know that I receive a salary and I'm able to devote myself full time to preaching God's word, ministering here. But the men we're looking at to step into lay eldership, they would still have the same kind of function. They might not be preaching like I am, But they would be teaching God's word, they would be shepherding, and they would be leading the body. And to give away my outline, that's really the main three elements that I think is composed of the work of an elder. So just to say, when it comes to meetings and to function, you know, I don't think that a paid pastor gets more votes in a meeting or things like that or has any more kind of authority. They're just paid by the church and able to devote themselves more fully to that role. And so as we think about what pastors do, you know, there's a lot of different opinions in our society on what is the role of a pastor. And even in my first year of ministry here, I've gotten a lot of questions and comments about what people think it is that I do. Uh, Even at Thanksgiving this last week, at my girlfriend's family and at my family, I had several people say, well, you're the pastor, you should pray, you know. That's what you get paid to do, you get paid to pray. And so I prayed like eight times this week, you know, for about every meal that we had. That's, uh, I had turkey every meal. I had prayed every meal. You know, that was kind of how it went. Uh, I said earlier, you're the pastor, so you just work on Sundays. Uh, you're the pastor, so you just tell people what to do. And I'm like, well, I can tell the people at Mount Church what to do, but they probably won't listen. So uh, you're the pastor, so you need to try to sell church or sell the gospel. Um, you're the pastor, and some people think you just work on your sermon 40 hours every week, and that's all that you do, you know? You're the pastor, so you need to visit every member of the church. And I'm not saying all these are necessarily wrong or off base, but what is it that a pastor actually does? We looked at who the elders, who the pastors are. Last week, we saw that they're qualified men, right? They're pastor, elder, bishop. They share authority. They share leadership with other elders, with the congregation, you know, just because we have elders at this church or have pastors, whatever you want to call them, it doesn't mean the congregation doesn't make any decisions, right? There's still room for congregational authority with that 
we saw that pastors, elders, whatever you want to call them, are primarily servants. They serve Christ, who is the chief shepherd. They serve the church as well. So today we want to focus on what pastors, what elders do. And what we want to see, again, is that we should live in harmony with biblical leadership. And we're going to do that today by trying to understand what is it that elders do. And so I gave it away a little bit ago, but I think that elders, pastors, you know, again, don't call me Bishop Lance, please, but whatever you want to call them, have three primary functions. And this actually isn't original with me. I've thought this since Bible college when I had a professor convince me of this. There's three primary areas that a pastor works in, and it's teaching the word, it's shepherding the flock, and it's the administration of the body. And I really carry that throughout my ministry, actually. I've got a little to-do list tracker thing. Now, sometimes I silence the notifications so it doesn't really do its job of reminding me of things I need to do. But in the church section on there, I've got three areas. Teaching the word, shepherding the flock, leading, administering the body. And I think that is what every pastor and every elder does to a certain extent. Now, some people may give it different names than that. Some people might highlight different aspects of that, but just in my understanding of what the Bible says, those are the three primary responsibilities of what a pastor does. And so first, let's look at teaching the word, teaching the word. Now, again, just like last week, we're going to be jumping all around. And so just be flexible with me. But let's turn to Acts chapter six for just a moment. And I want us to start seeing just the biblical foundation for elders, pastors, teaching the word. And again, I think this is both a paid pastor and a lay pastor, a pastor who's not paid for what they do. So in Acts chapter 6, we looked at this several weeks ago when we were talking about deacons when I was preaching through the book of Acts. We get to Acts 6 and there's this problem. The Greek widows, the Hellenistic widows are not being taken care of by the church. They're being overlooked in the distribution of food. And as we get to the apostles and they're dealing with this, they say, hey, we need to appoint deacons. We need to appoint servants who can take care of these physical needs in the church. And why is that? Well, look at verse four. But we will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. You could honestly say that with the apostles ministering and the elders, their primary responsibilities are prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, I think the Bible tells us that pastors do more than that. Um, and we'll talk about the ministry of prayer in the pastor's life in a moment, because I think that has to do with shepherding as well. But they were primarily focused with praying for the congregation and teaching the word to the congregation as well. Look at Acts twenty twenty seven. And you'll notice, and if you um, saw by the bulletins, there are handouts with the verses on them. That way you don't have to try to fit them into the bulletin. So there's a full handout out there with the verses. If you notice Acts 20, 27, we'll go through these passages. We'll keep coming back to some of them over and over again. Look at what Paul says. He says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So remember, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. He's really giving him his last words and their last charges as he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And he's talking about, hey, you guys need to watch out for wolves, false teachers, people who are going to um, challenge the church. And he talks about his own ministry. And he says, I proclaim to you the whole counsel of God, the Bible. Got, Paul taught them the word. And it's from that that the elders were actually able to teach others as well. 
There's a lot of places, there's a lot of ways you could take that whole counsel of God. I just for a moment want to say that I think it's important that we teach all of Scripture, that we try to explain all of Scripture. And that's why even when I preach, I try to preach Old and New Testament. Now, I don't think you have to do that necessarily, but I do think it's good for a congregation to be exposed to all of Scripture and what it means. But that's just a minor point, I think, in that verse. Go to 1 Timothy 3.2 for just a moment. 1 Timothy 3.2. These are the pastoral qualifications. One of the qualifications we see here is that the pastor is to be able to teach. It's the only thing that really differentiates the qualifications between an elder and a deacon. Able to teach. Now, what does that word mean? Some people think it means that every elder, every pastor, should be able to get up and preach a sermon like I am right now. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I think the two men that we're looking at for eldership have done that and could do that if they needed to. Schaefer preached for me this summer and did a great job. I think it's great to have other men who can preach in the church, but I don't think that's all that this actually means. So what if you had a person who was qualified in every other way to be an elder and he taught Sunday school, he taught a Bible study, but he just didn't feel comfortable preaching for some reason would that disqualify him from being an elder and i would say i don't think it does now i would challenge just even men who don't want to be elders to try to be able to preach god's word because i think it does say something about your ability to know god's word and communicate god's word clearly Um, but i don't think you necessarily have to preach a sermon but there are different avenues of teaching that elders can be part of in the same book look at chapter 5 verse 17 of first timothy But the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There's a lot of ways that people have taken this verse. The Presbyterian churches have taken this to say that there's ruling elders and teaching elders. I think it's still the same office. I don't think there should be any um, differentiation. I think it's just saying that those who are able to devote themselves full time to the office of teaching, you know, you should be able to compensate in some way but we what i want us to mainly see here is that part of the elder's responsibility is teaching go to second timothy three sixteen for a moment many of you could probably quote this to me without me reading it all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for proof for correction and for training in righteousness so i wanted to go to this verse to just say that teaching is not a part of the pastor's ministry just because you want to hear what I have to say, right? Nobody's here today because they want to hear Lance's soapbox or Lance's take on politics or anything. I don't really like politics anyways, so that wouldn't be a very long sermon. But you come here, hopefully, because you want to hear God's word, God's inspired word breathed out by him. And even in this sermon, like I said, which is topical, it's not just in one text. I want it to be based from God's word, and that's why we're looking at these biblical passages. I want us to see what does the Bible say about these responsibilities. Ultimately, it is God's word that is inspired. It's God's word that is inerrant. It's God's word that is profitable for all of these different things, and Tim's done a great job of talking about those aspects of God's word in Sunday school. In the same book, look at chapter 4, verse 2. Start in verse 1, actually, because I think this helps us. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. As Paul is talking to Timothy in a pretty difficult situation in Ephesus, if you read 2 Timothy, Paul's imprisoned a second time. He knows he's probably going to die during this point. There's a lot of people who have left Paul. In fact, in this book, he says, everybody else besides you has practically abandoned me. And I'm actually leaving the gospel with you. I've taught you these things so that you can teach others who could teach others. And so the gospel and doctrine can flow to the next generation. And then really the final chapter of that, he charges Timothy with preaching the word. And again, I think it's so important that we understand that the preaching of God's word changes lives. It brings transformation. Paul could have told Timothy to do anything here. He could have told Timothy to um, get involved in some kind of other parachurch organization. He could have told Timothy, make sure you tell people to tithe. But instead, he says, preach the word, minister the word. Again, I want us to just see the importance that Paul puts on preaching. So we look at these passages. There's others as well that talk about the elder and teaching, but teaching the word is one of the primary responsibilities of pastors or if you want to call them elders, elders. And this happens in two different ways or two different categories of ways. It happens publicly and privately. Now, we often think of teaching as just being a public thing, like what I'm doing right now in preaching or like what Tim did in Sunday school today or maybe a Bible study. But I want us to see it happens publicly and privately, first publicly with preaching the word. This is one of the main ministries that I have here. I think it's one of my primary ministries here is preaching God's word every week. Um, pastors are often encouraged to devote a large amount of their time to preparing their sermons, especially if they are the main preaching pastor. Other elders and ministry leaders can have a part in preaching God's word as well. I already mentioned that with other men in our church who can preach, and that can be a great encouragement as well. Um, to the preaching of the word. I also just want to say this, that it's even in our constitution that the pastors and the elders also oversee who preaches in our church. So I'm not just going to come to church on a Sunday and we're going to have a woman pastor preaching here that I wouldn't know about. Uh, that would be weird, for one, because we didn't invite her. And two, it's part of the pastor's responsibility to say, hey, this person is coming to our church. So we had Pastor Joe come and preach back in May. He was my former pastor for, um, for many, many years ago. But I asked him to come because I knew he would do a good job and that he would stay faithful to God's word. And so it's part of the elders' responsibility as well to oversee who is in the pulpit and what are they saying. So it can be preaching the word. It can also be in other venues as well, teaching in Sunday school, small groups, etc., Pastors and elders can teach in these ministries. For our church, we have Sunday school. We've had Tim teach. We've had Schaefer teach. Keith has taught in the past. I've taught. Um, even Perry has taught at some points. He's not here with us today. We've had several different teachers in the rotation for Sunday school. It's one of the elders' responsibilities as well to teach in some of these different areas. We also have Wednesday night Bible study. We've got a lot of different kind of Bible studies in our church, and some of these are just you know, tailored to what your church offers as far as those studies. Some of them are more formal, like Sunday school. Some of them are very informal, like Thursday Bible study. It tends to be pretty informal, right? You know, and we can have more questions and things like that. 
um, or get off on random topics like what kind of fish are in the Bible or things like that. But there are other teaching responsibilities that pastors have even outside of preaching. I want to talk secondly about teaching the word privately, teaching the word privately. And this is probably what we're less familiar with in the pastor's work. What does it mean to teach the word, minister the word in private? Well, I think this happens in two ways. The first way is in counseling. This overlaps with shepherding, and I'm actually going to talk about this more in the pastor's work of shepherding. But pastors, elders, I think, are able to counsel people. They're able to speak into people's lives with God's word. Again, you don't come to me for counseling just to hear what my thoughts or opinions are on something. Trust me, you don't want those. You want to hear what God's word says about the issues in your life. And I think the pastor, the elders, should be able to counsel in some way. I actually, and I'll talk about this later, I think the congregation members should be able to offer counseling in some way. We often think of counseling as you go to a therapist, you go to a Christian counselor, you lay down on the couch, you tell them all your problems about your childhood. It's not really what counseling is. Counseling is just talking through life's issues with someone you may offer counseling to someone today without even noticing or realizing it someone may come to you today with an issue in their life and you may speak god's word into their life hopefully that's what you're doing and giving them some kind of admonition and you wouldn't even realize it's counseling now it's very informal counseling but this is part of what pastors and elders can do in the church so it can happen in counseling. And then lastly, personal conversations. And this is something I didn't understand until like the last couple years. And Reed talked about this quite a bit when he was here. That the pastor is really a public theologian. So he has his theology, preaches it obviously. But oftentimes people will come to a pastor with questions about theology, things happening in the Christian world. And pastors will give answers to those questions from God's word. Now, sometimes it's within our church and people will ask me questions and I'll try to give the best answer I have. Sometimes it's just random family members that I have who call me and ask me, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen or something like that, you know. Um, so some of them are more or less serious, but a pastor still ministers the word even privately. In fact, we didn't read this passage, but in Titus, it talks about how the pastors, the elders, should hold fast the word of God. They should be men of the book. And even thinking about, okay, who do we want as elders? We want men who know God's word. We want men who trust God's word. We want men who believe in the power of God's word. In my life, it's my goal that God's word comes out of me, even just in personal conversations with others. I had a pastor in college. He was a great help and mentor in my life. And what I loved about him was that he would preach God's word. He was an excellent preacher and teacher of the Bible. But even as I would go to his house, he'd have me over to eat about every Sunday. And we'd see him on Wednesday nights, things like that. He was always consistent. Preaching the word, talking to me in private, it was always the same answers. And it wasn't because he was brainwashed. It wasn't because he was saying the same thing over and over again or he had cue cards or something. It was because he knew God's word and he believed it. And it is what flowed out of his conversations. So even as we think about, okay, how does this apply to us? You know, many of us, most of us in this room, 
won't be pastors or elders. Do you know God's word? And I know that's not a question on there, but think about that this morning. Do you understand God's word? Is that what flows out of you? Is scripture what your meditation is? We don't really talk about verse memorization or memorizing the Bible, but do you memorize scripture? Not to show off, okay, I can memorize this whole chapter of the Bible, but so you can use it in conversations with others. Do you want biblical teaching? It's one of my joys here at this church that I've had several people between the sermon and between just Bible studies who want to hear God's word. They don't want to hear what I have to say about something, but they ask for God's word to be taught. And they want biblical teaching. Do you listen to God's word when it's being taught? Are you able to discern? Do you ask questions when it's being taught? Do you write things down? Or is church just nap time or something? Or time to work on something else? Are you careful with biblical teaching? We'll talk about this more in shepherding. Part of the pastor's role is keeping false teaching out of the church. But even with that, every single member of our church should be discerning in biblical teaching. There are people out there who teach the Bible who should not be because they don't believe it's true. Because they don't believe it's inspired. They don't believe it's inerrant. And they are teaching false doctrine. And I'm not saying that to scare people or to try to make us critical of anyone who opens God's word. But are we careful of biblical teaching? Even with my preaching here, do you listen to make sure I am preaching and teaching what is accurate from the Bible? Now, if I'm preaching in a gospel and I say Peter instead of John when they speak, that's not me trying to twist the Bible. That's me making a mistake because I'm tired or something. But are you listening to biblical teaching, paying attention to see what the pastor is saying and to know if it's true? Teaching the word is one of the primary responsibilities of a pastor. Secondly, we see that one of his second primary responsibilities is shepherding the flock. Shepherding the flock. Now, there's going to be a lot of overlap here between the first point and the third point, but it's still an important part of what the pastor does. Turn to John chapter 10. Turn to John chapter 10. Now, you might say, you know, Lance, the church doesn't exist at this point yet. And I would say, yes, that's true. But I think in this passage, we really get the foundation for the idea of shepherding. And so I want us to go to this passage, starting in John 10, looking at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not the shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and a wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the chief shepherd. We see this throughout Scripture. All other elders, whatever you want to call them, pastors, are under Christ and his shepherding. How does Christ take care of his sheep? He knows them. We see that clearly. He knows his sheep. He protects his sheep from wolves. He even lays down his life for the sheep. So keep that in mind even as we think about this idea of pastoral shepherding. Turn to John 21, 
15 through 17. Again, we've not seen the church come onto the scene yet, but some of the idea of shepherding is even thought of and mentioned here. Look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter would have an important role in shepherding God's church, right? We've seen that in Acts. Peter is a primary character within the church of God. And John continues this idea of sheep language, even in John 21, as Jesus is talking with Peter. Now go to Acts 20, 28. We're going back to Acts 20. Like I said, some of these passages we're going to hit multiple times because they speak to all three areas. Paul's with the Ephesian elders. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. In this passage, we see that Paul is saying there's going to be false teachers coming onto the scene trying to deceive the church. You need to pay attention to the flock. Be aware of what is going on. Make sure there's not false teaching creeping into the church. Look with me at Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. If you remember, when I did start preaching here this year, um, this was like the second sermon that I did this year, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. <clears throat> this idea of shepherding, pastoring, this is really the only time we see pastor used as a noun here, but the idea of shepherding is used throughout Scripture. It's associated pretty closely with teaching. Now, we're not sure exactly what the connection is, but there's a different conjunction used in Greek, which shows that shepherding and teaching are used simultaneously, that they have that same role. So we see shepherding here as part of the body of Christ being built up. We'll get Hebrews 13, 17. I know I'm making us flip around a lot. Hopefully this is helping us know the books of the Bible as well. And my, I learned a song about the books of the Bible when I was in like grade school. And even today as I'm flipping through, I'm like singing that song in my head. Okay, Hebrews, James, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for it would be of no advantage to you. This is actually a very sobering and chilling passage for me, because as I think about this, I'm reminded I give an account for those who are in my church. Other people, lay elders who we have here at this church, would give an account for the members of this church. When I talked last year about listening to a sermon, why should we listen to preaching here? Well, if you're a church member here, you are or even just a regular attender. Your pastor gives an account for you. Your pastor will stand before God one day talking about how he shepherded you and your soul. I love John MacArthur and his preaching, other great preachers, Alistair Begg, 
Um, there's several more that I could say. They have great preaching. You should listen to them, but they will not give an account for your soul. They will not stand before God one day giving an account for what you have done, but it will be your pastor. Finally, 1 Peter 5.2. 1 Peter 5.2. Tim read this for us earlier. This has been kind of the main passage I've wanted us to think about in this series. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. How should you shepherd someone? Not because someone's forcing you to, but because you want to. Not to try to get shameful gain, but because God has called you to do it. Not domineering over them, not trying to lord over them, bully them, get your way. Which, by the way, so many pastors do. They bully, they push, they force their way into decisions. But rather being gentle, like Christ, our shepherd. These are all passages concerning shepherding. Again, there's more that I could say. What does shepherding look like in the pastor's ministry of the church? There's several ways. You've got them in your handout. For The first one is discipling. Discipling. It's the church's job. Every member in the church should be discipling others and being discipled by someone. What is discipleship? I think the best definition I can give that's simple is helping others follow Jesus. You should be helping someone follow Jesus Other people should be helping you follow Jesus. The pastor has a role in discipleship. Now, could I or even the men that we have, could we meet with everyone week after week in discipleship? Well, even in a small church like ours, probably not. But it is our job to encourage it, to help people in their walk with Christ, to help others follow Jesus. And yes, that happens in teaching, but that also happens in just encouraging, coming alongside someone ministering to them, discipling them. What does discipleship look like? Sometimes it's meeting together, going through a book. Other times it's just simply asking someone, what is God doing in their life? Calling them on the phone, following up on a prayer request. This can all be part of helping someone follow Jesus. Closely connected to discipleship, I think secondly, is counseling. In fact, my counseling professor in college called counseling Discipleship in the details. Discipleship in the rough details of someone's life. Helping them when they're hurting. Helping them navigate through life's issues. This is part of the pastor's shepherding. They help the sheep when they're sick, when they're hurt, when they need something. All of you who are at least regular attenders here, you know that I have a dog named Mac. Mac, last year or this last spring, He ripped one of his toenails out when he was being boarded. Now, I had to take him home after that, and they wrapped it up, and uh, I tried to take the bandage off to see if it was infected, and he wouldn't let me touch it. And He hopped around the house on three legs for a long time, and finally I had to take him to the doctor so he could get medicine and so that his paw would feel better. It was my job as Mac's owner to try to help him recover from his illness. Now, he did milk that for all it's worth, and like three weeks after, he was still kind of hopping on three feet, and uh, then he'd see my parents' dog, and he'd run after them, and it would be fine, but uh, 
he wasn't sick for all of that time, is what I'm saying. Pastors, in the same way, help their congregation members when they're hurting. Now, when I talk about counseling, sometimes we think that the only people who need counseling are really distressed people, people who are going through a really hard time. I would just suggest to you this. I think that almost every Christian at some point in their life will need some kind of counseling, some kind of help from God's word. It may be more or less formal, but all of us have challenges, right? All of us have things we go through. Many of us need help from God's word. I can remember even being in college, struggling with different things, getting some counseling from one of my professors, humbling myself and saying, hey, I need some help in this area, and it helped me in my walk with Christ. Pastors disciple, they counsel. Fourthly, they protect. They're protecting. This is a huge part of shepherding that I think some people miss, that pastors, elders protect the sheep from false teaching, from wolves in sheep's clothing, as Paul would call them. It's one of their main responsibilities, I think, in the church. Now, this doesn't mean they're micromanaging or I'm asking you, you know, everything you've ever read or watched. You want to give people their space, obviously. But they should be protecting false doctrine from coming into the church, from being consumed here, and guiding other people even in how they study the Bible. The pastor should be protecting the sheep. Fifthly, feeding the sheep feeding the sheep. We talked about this with teaching. Part of shepherding is the pastor feeding the word to the congregation, feeding the sheep. So I won't spend long on this, but again, the congregation should be spiritually fed by the pastor and by all the elders. The last point I'll make is encouraging, encouraging. The pastor should encourage the congregation, should encourage the sheep. I won't spend much time on this, but people can become discouraged. This is one of the reasons why I think it's helpful to have multiple elders who know people in the congregation because they can encourage others. One of the main ideas of the shepherding role is this idea of a shepherd with his sheep. It's that illustration of a shepherd watching after his sheep. If you ever smell or meet a shepherd... They will smell like their sheep. They may not smell good necessarily, but they will smell like the sheep that they're with. It's important for elders, whether you're paid, not paid, you should smell like sheep. You should be around the people of the church. You should know them well. You should have a relationship with them. And I'm continually challenged by this even in my own life to try to know people even that I'm serving in our church well. How does any of this apply to us, even those of us who may not be elders in the church? Do you engage in discipleship? Are you part of discipleship in the church? Have you asked an older Christian, hey, would you come alongside me and help me grow in Christ? Is there a younger Christian that you could find that you could encourage in their walk with Christ? Discipleship isn't just for pastors to help younger Christians in, but it's something our whole church should be part of. Secondly, are you accountable to church leadership? Do you let them into your life? Are you transparent with them? Do you respond well to their authority? Remember, they give an account for your soul. Podcasts are great. Other 
books, Christian books are great. Those speakers, those authors will not give an account for you. Lastly, do you encourage others here? Now, I almost didn't write this down because we have such an encouraging and loving church. But it stands to say that we can encourage others in our congregation. I'm thankful for those of you who have encouraged me even as the pastor here. Pastors teach the word. Pastors shepherd the flock. Lastly, pastors, elders, paid or lay. They lead the body. You'd say administering the body or leading the body. Let's look at some passages once again together. Look at Acts 6-4 with me. Acts 6-4. Once again, we're coming back to this passage. We've talked about it several times in this study, both last week and this week. I want us to see here that as they are giving this admonition, actually look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of, sp- full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the congregation didn't come up with this idea themselves. Actually, the apostles submitted this idea to them. They then appointed deacons. So like I said, it's not total elder rule. I don't think that's necessarily right. But the congregation still had a role in this process. It's not total congregational authority either because the elders were the ones who directed them in this decision. Look at Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. We talked about verse 11. You know, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Look at what they do. They equip the saints for the work of of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So they are part of this building up of the body. But look what the result is of this. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed about to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Many people think the goal of pastoring or of being an elder in a church is to help the church get big, to help the church grow numerically. And there can be some good, some truth in wanting to see the church grow numerically. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But actually, the goal of pastoring, the goal of shepherding, is seeing believers become mature. Seeing people grow in Christ, seeing people become like him. This happens through elders, through pastors, not only teaching and shepherding, but also leading. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. There's a lot of great admonitions in 1 Thessalonians 5. Um, Look with me at verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you and who admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. This simply shows that elders, pastors are 
over, not in a domineering way, not in like a CEO way, but they are caring for the sheep. They have leadership in over them and the people are told to respect them. And then those same congregation members are actually given their own exhortations on how they disciple others. We get 1 Timothy 1. Verse 3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, so you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God, that is, by faith. Timothy was sent to Ephesus to, kind of like Titus, put things into order. Now, that what was happening? There was false doctrine. There was false teaching. We often think this is combated in shepherding and in teaching, and that is true. It is also combated in leadership as well. That's why Paul puts Timothy there, leading the church, helping them work through these issues. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 5. We've been here several times as well. Titus 1, 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remain into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. What is part of having a well-ordered and healthy church? It's actually establishing qualified elders who can help lead the church well. Elders help in leading God's church. Then finally, Hebrews chapter 5, or 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Look at that next phrase. Exercising oversight. The same word for bishop or administration. Elders are part of administration leading the body of Christ. In this passage, we see that's by being a good example. One question to think of as we think about this is what is leadership? We have a wrong view, I think, of leadership in this society We think leadership is just charisma, everybody liking you. We think leadership is just being dominant, being the loudest voice in the room. We think leadership is being, uh, trying to think of the word for it, is being cunning or being new on the cutting edge of something, of trying to have the newest trends, having the best vision. What do we see about leadership in scripture? Leadership is service. Leadership is is being an example. Christ led his disciples, but how also did he treat them? He served them. He washed their feet. So how do we think about leadership in our church? How do pastors lead? How do elders lead? They lead, first of all, in administration. They lead in administration. What is this? It's helping steer the ship, as one of my church administration professors would say. It's steering the church in the right Direction. Now, when I think of administration in this context, I'm going to talk about a couple other ways. So I want to primarily talk about just the day-to-day administration of the church. I've learned being a small church pastor in a small congregation like ours, some of the administration that I do is different from some larger churches. It may not be having big meetings or events or things like that, but just helping the church work through smaller things or even organizing different parties that we're having, things like that. But it's still administration. I'm thankful that I don't do this alone, but I've got great other men in this church who understand things like finances better than I do, calendar, planning, things like that. 
who can help me in administration. Secondly, pastors can lead in vision. Pastors can lead in vision. What do I mean by this? I'm not trying to be new age or mega church or something like that. But pastors help the church lead in vision. Uh, that same church administration professor who's actually been out here, Dr. Lofquist, he would often tell me, you have to help people see reality. Every church has a reality of where they're at, of what things are at this point. And part of pastoring is helping people see what that reality is and how things can improve. Now, we don't just change things to change things necessarily, but leadership involves having a vision that's biblically based for the church. We want our vision to be the same as God's vision. Fourthly, leading and change. Leading and change. Some people really like change and they want to change everything every week. Some people really don't like change and they don't want any change to happen whatsoever. But change, and change shouldn't happen in doctrine, but change is natural. Change is going to happen at some point. Change, whether you're for change or against change, it will happen naturally in the church. And so pastors, elders help lead and change in the congregation. And then finally, this isn't in your notes, but pastors lead in serving. Pastors lead, you could say probably through serving. What's the best leadership? The best leadership is servant leadership. Serving others. And we said pastors are servants, right? They're servants of Christ. They're servants of the church. And they may not be able to serve in all the different ways, physical ways, maybe that others can. But they primarily serve the word. But they also can serve in some humbling ways. Folding up tables, stacking chairs, serving others who are sick. Pastors are servants. We can lead through servant leadership. One of the best sermons I've ever heard was a sermon that my pastoral professor did in college on John 13 with Christ washing the disciples' feet, showing how serving the church, serving others, is part of loving in ministry. I love that verse that's in John 13 about how Christ, as he's preparing to wash the disciples' feet, it says he loved them to the end. And because of that, he served them well. One of the reasons I love that sermon isn't because it's necessarily the best given sermon of the best, the sermon with the best delivery, but because that professor who preached that sermon was a servant. He served others, and it came out even in his preaching. So ask yourself this morning, how do you serve? How do you serve others? Maybe you don't want anything to do with leadership. Maybe you want to be in some kind of leadership. How do you serve others even in our church? Do you hold leadership accountable? There's qualifications for the offices. We talked about those last week. Are you looking at those? Have you studied those? Again, not to have a checklist at my office to say, hey, I don't think you're being gentle today, but do you have knowledge of those qualifications? Do you hold leadership to them? Do you pray for leadership? Do you pray for those serving the body of Christ? Lastly, do you encourage leadership? Do you encourage leadership? Thankful for all of you who have given me such encouraging words since I've been here at this church. You don't know how much it's meant to me as I've continued to be here. And again, not for a very long time, but for the time that I've been here. Teaching, shepherding, 
leading. That's part of what the elders do. I think you could probably say there's more to it than that, but I think everything at least falls into some of those, into those three categories. So as we close this morning, I want us to think about ourselves. How should we respond to understanding eldership? You may still have questions. I'd love to answer those questions for you. But from what we understand from the last two weeks, how should we respond to understanding eldership? Well, first of all, we should be ready for biblical teaching. We should be ready for biblical teaching. We should embrace it. We should want it. Not because I'm going to say anything that's so great. Not because I'm going to be the best preacher in the world. But because it's God's word. We should be ready for biblical teaching. Secondly, we should be accountable to pastoral shepherding. Not in a way that overlooks even just being accountable to each other. But being accountable to the pastor's role as a shepherd embracing discipleship, embracing encouragement, following Christ well. Lastly, we should live in harmony with biblical leadership. That doesn't mean we're always going to agree with it. That doesn't mean there are times that we don't have to say, hey, I I think I need to challenge you on that, or I don't think maybe this is the right way we should go. We should respect it. We should honor it. We should pray for those in leadership. There's a lot of ideas, like I said, about what pastors do. In fact, I just saw from a church, a big church down in Phoenix, they have a pastor of fun. And their pastor's role is to be the pastor of fun and to plan parties and events and things like that. And while I don't want to judge this church, friends, that's not what pastors do. You might think that's what I do. That's not what pastors do. I'm not the pastor of fun. Rather, pastors teach the word, shepherd the congregation, and lead the body of Christ not for our own personal gain. Not so that I can go give reports and say, hey, look at how great my church is doing. Not so that people can say, hey, this is Lance's church. Look at how well he's done. But so that Christ can be glorified in us. So that as Ephesians 4 says, the body of Christ can be built up, mature, functioning as it should. And so why are we even talking about this? Why did I spend two weeks away from Acts? Why am I preaching a sermon on elders right after Thanksgiving when I should be preaching a sermon on thankfulness? Because it's part of our church growing and understanding leadership. And it's not that I think there's anything wrong with our church. I love our church body. But as I submit to the congregation this proposal for having biblical offices. I'm not doing it so that we can have more elders and I can brag to all my friends about how we have elders. I am submitting this. We're praying about this as a congregation because we think it's what's right, because we want to see our church grow and be led well. So be in prayer for us as we think about this. We'll have more conversations about this closer to the annual meeting. I hope this has been helpful, encouraging to you. Like I said, if you have questions Please don't hesitate to ask. As we close, think about how God might use you even to serve and to help our church family well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've shown us in it. I thank you for pastors in my life who have encouraged me, who have helped me. Thank you for the men here, Lord, who are in leadership. God, I pray that as we consider this change, as we Think about these things as a congregation that you would encourage us, that you would help us to think through them well. And God, may you be glorified through us. Pray that none of this would be done for any of our 
vain pride or glory or anything, but that it would only be done for you. We say this all in Christ's name. Amen.